It's the fan pregame Tuesday night. Leafs on a back-to-back versus the Rangers tonight. Uh, hot off Tavares is 1,000th point, we called it. We did. The boos and the cheers, we called that too. Uh, we'll have the pregame show for the Leafs later on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. And Luke Fox will be joining us from MSG. Lots of hockey across the network tonight, including Big One, Edmonton, and Chicago. Connor versus Connor. Uh, the first time those two will face in NHL hockey. So we'll have lots of tea up there. And Frank Saravelli is going to join us in a few minutes to help us set that up. Tea, tea up tonight and whip around the NHL. But let's sit on Bedard and McDavid for a second because, you know, this is a generational talent and a generational talent. I don't know how many of those you're allowed to have, but we have two of them in this country. And they're going head-to-head uh, for the first time in NHL action tonight. It's going to be a big game. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, the two Connors getting together for the first time is definitely big news. And when I look at the matchup, I think, well, is this successor or challenger when we talk about Connor Bedard? Like, is he going to get to McDavid's level before McDavid is ready to give Mm -hmm. up the throne? Or is this kind of like Crosby to McDavid and then to Bedard? Just based on the age difference, Crosby's an 87, McDavid a 97, Bedard an 05. So a little bit of a shorter gap. he had waited two more years... Then we could, you know, it would be this natural, you know, Canadian uh, uh, grace period, I guess, or uh, transition. But yeah, I think there's a little bit shorter of a gap. And therefore, one day, it's possible that the two Connors are the very best players in the world. And they're fighting for the title of being the best player in the world. I don't remember the hype for Crosby because I was a little bit too young. I remember the Bedard, obviously the Bedard moment, but I remember the McDavid moment. And it did feel like, and maybe it's just hindsight and and free whoa recency bias Mm. and frequency bias that this bedard inaugural season the hype for him felt like it had just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger do you remember when it was mcdavid coming into league or crosby coming into league or is it just because we live in social media times and like it's so easy to get access to info to see his junior to see what he was like growing up to have more like one-on-one interviews with these kids where you can build that hype even more Well, I think there's circumstances around both that made them maybe bigger. And I guess the social media thing does take Mm -hmm. it to the next level. But of course, that was around with both, but, you know, predominantly with McDavid. But McDavid, there was the Leafs and the Oilers kind of waiting there for Mm -hmm. the lottery balls. And with Crosby, there was, oh, you actually have to save the NHL while (laughs) you come into the league. So I do think it was bigger for Crosby and McDavid than it was for Bedard, even with Mm -hmm. that recency bias and the social media influence making it big as well. But it's, you said generational, they're... Maybe we use it a little too loosely, but these three did earn that distinction on the come up. And for that reason, there was hype for all of them, of course. We've got that game later on Sportsnet West, Chicago at Edmonton at 10 o'clock p.m. Uh, Lots of hockey tonight, including Leafs and Rangers. That's later on Sportsnet 590, the fan. And as I said, Justin and I will tee that up in the second half of our show. So let's get into Frank Saravelli, who's joining us. Uh, Frank, thanks for coming on. Glad that we got a chance to connect. We're talking Connor versus Connor tonight. Um, obviously a big one uh, across the NHL. Everyone's got their eyes on this. Justin had a, a really great like analogy of maybe a successor or maybe it's a challenger, like somebody that actually could get to the McDavid level and, and jump him. Where do you see these two in their early journey of maybe having a rivalry starting? Look, I'm highly skeptical of anyone being able to jump Connor McDavid at any point. I've got Connor McDavid already really close to my Mount Rushmore of NHL history. Like he's he's knocking on that door already and he's only what 8 9 years into his career. So 
Look, Connor Bedard is going to be a really special player through 27 games. The first 27 games of McDavid's career, he's already got one more goal than McDavid had at this point. He's trailing him in points. And it's not even really a fair indication because of what Connor Bedard's been asked to do on his own without very much support. So the Blackhawks, I'm sure, are not thrilled with that internally. And you even look at tonight's game. No Taylor Hall. Corey Perry's contract has been terminated. Seth Jones is out. Kevin Korchinski's not on the trip. Like, the Hawks have a real chance to address six basically non-NHL players in their lineup tonight. And the... That doesn't help Bedard and and sort of what he's trying to accomplish. But when you look at what he has done to this point, so much of it on his own, it's been incredibly special. I see him ultimately, and this is someone that, again, I I picked Bedard to have 100 points this year. He's going to fall short of that, but he should still be pretty comfortably in the 80s and should be knocking on 40 goals. This is someone that I think when it's all said and done is going to be on the next rung down from McDavid. But what we're talking about with McDavid is one of the very greats of all time. Uh, And it's been a great turnaround for Connor McDavid uh, recently, uh, saving the Oilers season, saving his own season, I suppose. Do we have any information to back that? Was this just, hey, he rolled out of bed the right way and, and just got on this role? Like what exactly happened? I know he was dealing with an injury. Is it as simple as him being healthy enough to produce at the level that we're accustomed to? Yeah, I think that, and even for the best player in the world, confidence can be a factor. You talk to people that watch him really closely, and they say there was one goal that he scored a couple weeks ago um, that he really, you could see everything connecting for him again. And I know that sounds funny to say, but you know, the estimate that I got from people around him was that McDavid was probably at best around 55% right around the Heritage Classic and after. And I think there was probably some pressure on him that he was internalizing of, hey, this team's in a rut. And even Connor McDavid at 55% is still better than 100% from 70% of the rest of the league. That's how elite he is. And he probably felt like he needed to power through that. But he is much closer to 100% now. I don't know if he's all the way there. And beyond that, um, the numbers and point totals just remain eye-popping. Like, here's what Connor McDavid can accomplish tonight. The 13th different 10-game point streak or longer in his career. 13th. Wow. That's insane. Th- that is uh, <laughs> it is pretty insane, and it's coming at a good time. The Oilers on quite the run here. Uh, definitely rescuing their season over the last couple of weeks. Uh, on Sportsnet tonight, the Arizona Coyotes visit the Pittsburgh Penguins. And Pittsburgh's in the headlines because Kyle Dubas uh, took an opportunity to meet the media backing Mike Sullivan. Uh, I wonder about the situation in Pittsburgh. Admittedly, haven't been following it as closely as what's going on here north of the border. But, of course, with Dubas, there was like this autonomy thing. And Sullivan, the reporting before Dubas ever showed up there, well, he kind of walks on water there. It's like it's Sid and it's Malkin and it's Latang, And you can kind of put Mike Sullivan at at least arm's length. So I'll ask about the autonomy piece. Does Dubas have free reign to make a decision on Mike Sullivan if he so chooses? I do not believe he does. I think Mike Sullivan is very closely wired in with Fenway Sports Group. You've got a Boston guy with a collection of Boston-based owners that they really truly believe and trust in him as one of the very best coaches in the NHL. And it's hard to argue with his track record, the Stanley cups and everything that's come with that. He certainly has an aura about him that 
you know, exists in the Pittsburgh Penguins organization, and rightfully so. Consider this. He got his last extension from the Fenway Sports Group, which still doesn't even officially kick in yet, directly from Fenway Sports Group. It didn't really involve his Kyle Dubas's predecessor in Ron Hextall, which I know was a source of contention within that organization that the general manager wasn't the one that was extending the head coach. So not only does Mike Sullivan have the security, but he also has the financial backing from Fenway Sports Group as soon to be one of the highest paid coaches in the NHL that more or less makes him bulletproof. And I think if you were to park all of that Everything that I just said made it sound really kind of salacious as to the situation that's in Pittsburgh, but I don't know about you guys. I look at the way the Penguins have unfolded this season. I look at the addition of Eric Carlson and trying to assimilate him into a power play that's had three main faces for 17 consecutive seasons. I'm sorry, I don't look at anything that's happened this year and point to the coach and say, hey, this is on you to figure out. This, to me, just looks like an aging roster that's had chemistry issues that probably should be playing better than it is, but I don't know how much higher their ceiling is than that. It's going to be a big one on Saturday night when Dubis and the Penguins are back in town here in Toronto, Hockey Night in Canada. I'm sure there'll be lots of stories written about the two different eras and what's going on um, in both cities. Uh, let's talk about the Maple Leafs, though, because last night John Tavares got his 1,000th point against the team that drafted him. It was perfectly scripted, other than the Maple Leafs losing in overtime. Um, when you look at what's next for John Tavares after this chapter ends, which is just maybe his contract with the Maple Leafs, where do you see John Tavares? Is he staying hometown discount? Is he handing the C to Austin Matthews? Like, What's the next chapter look like for John Tavares? And it's a good question about the C. I hadn't really considered that part of it, but I can't help but think about the game plan that the Los Angeles Kings have laid out for Andre Kopitar and think that it's somewhat similar for the Toronto Maple Leafs. You have a guy that was one of the highest paid centers in the NHL, someone who's been a model of consistency, someone who is a leader who shows up to compete and does all the right things yet is making a pretty penny when compared to the rest of the team and at some point, everyone recognizes that a regression will come. Father time remains undefeated last time I checked. So when you look at Kopitar going down to $7 million bucks for a couple seasons, man, that would be the perfect fit for the Toronto Maple Leafs because even since he has arrived in Toronto, you know, say what you want about John Tavares and the contract and where that stacks up in terms of the Leafs cap table and how it may or may not have screwed up a lot of different things we, you know, thanks to the pandemic, really, more than anything. But since he's gotten there, he's delivered. And that's the one thing that you really can't knock Tavares for is he shows up and works. And and I'll, I'll take it one step further than that. His game has completely evolved. He was known coming in as sort of a more power forward, two-way guy. And he's become one of the best net front presences in in the entire NHL. And the statistics and the way he scored those goals back that up. It's not easy for players to change and evolve as they go throughout their career. But he's done it and he's been able to maintain a level of consistent excellence that I think is not only making him potentially a a first ballot Hall of Famer, but just go and look at at the consistent numbers and that he's continued to put up. It's it's been really impressive. Yeah, it has. I mean, the, the production has remained, but I think some of the usage has changed and it's maybe a little bit more sheltered and that's fine. He can be that weapon. But again, I think that comes with a little less money. And I wonder, I mean, I know we can't really talk about this, 
but Shohei Otani, right? He's all that deferred money. And I'm not saying there's anything there, <laughs> but how much Tavares would help the Maple Leafs win, help his standing and legacy, which is still completely undefined, and, you know, set himself up for a post-playing uh, career that continues in Toronto as he lives in this city and continues to have his life with three children and his wife. Like, I just feel like he could, by giving some up, really set himself up to have it all, if that was an option we could even talk about, Frank. Well, I mean, you should be able to talk about it in the very near future, and we're getting to that point because that contract, you can see the end date in the distance, and you can see all of those different things as you write this storybook ending kind of come together. I think that's the potential to be in the cards. I don't see John Tavares as someone that's sitting out there counting every last penny I'm sure like anyone else, and and you saw the the blood, sweat, and tears that he put into the New York Islanders trying to turn that franchise around, he cares. And he's going to be one of those guys that wants to be a difference maker. And perhaps the best way that he could do that is by potentially taking less money to help this team stay together. We're chatting with Frank Cervelli of Daily Faceoff. You just said about two minutes ago that father time is undefeated. Is that what's happening with Alexander Ovechkin? Five goals this year on his race to try to catch uh, Wayne Gretzky. It doesn't look like it's going too well to start this season. Yeah, the math is starting to get a little fuzzy. I mean, the path was really clear there for a while for Ovechkin to get there. And not to say he can. I also think he's one of those guys that, I don't care if he's scoring five goals a year. He'll play until he's 47 to make sure that he gets there because Mm. of all the work that's been put into this point. I think the Caps might even have him stay until that long if that's what's required. But when I look at Ovechkin, to me, a lot of people have said, oh, look at his shooting percentage. It's half of his career average. He's going to rebound this year. And he's also been one of those guys before that when you thought his you know, his career might be slowing down, he all of a sudden has a 42-goal or 50-goal season. But to me, this year feels different because he's not passing the eye test. When you watch his games really closely, his skating has not just taken one step back. It's taken two or three. And he's having a hard time getting to those spots necessary to get some space, to get shots off that before he never even really had to think about. So that to me has been a big issue for him. And it's been one that when you look at his shooting percentage, I'm not so sure that that will rebound in a significant way without a big uptick in his skating, which at age 38, I I don't know about you guys. I just don't see that happening again. So how problematic is this then for the Capitals? Because you said, hey, if he if he needs to be 47 to do it, we'll do it. Uh, if that's the case, we're, are you devoting as an organization 12 years that are pretty much wasted to chase this, to have a moment on the ice where they pour out onto the ice and congratulate Alex Ovechkin because mm-hmm. he hit the back of an empty net if, if he needs to do it at that point? Like, <laughs> it seems like they the could, re- they could yeah. really put things on hold here. Uh, for a long and uncomfortable amount of time if Ovechkin just doesn't have it anymore? Well, I think they've already kind of started to do that because they made a promise to him, it seems, that until his contract expires, at least, that they're going to try and remain one of the more competitive teams in the league. And as Ovechkin is trying to defy father time, the Caps are as well because they've got a core that, you know, sort of prior to the Nicholas Backstrom injury – 
is certainly longer in the tooth, maybe not as long as Pittsburgh. I think Washington has done a little bit of a better job trying to turn things over to a younger group, acquiring someone like a Sandine last year, for instance, that I think is a great example of something that Pittsburgh hasn't really been able to do. We'll compare these two teams forever in terms of how they approach their team building and core because of the two stars at the very top that went head to head for so long and were able to achieve and hoist those Stanley cups. But for me, I think it's time for both of those teams to begin turning over new ground and heading in a different direction because hanging on and barely trying to sneak into the playoffs as a seven or eight seed, it may help you in your marketplace in terms of selling tickets. If the goal chase doesn't do it alone. Uh, And I'm very much looking forward to the idea of a Mark McGuire or Sammy Sosa type chase to the, one of the, the all time great records in sports. But for me, I think at some point they're going to have to to park park that and say, hey, we've got a franchise to run here. It can't just operate solely around one person. Oh, we need to get on that Joe Pavelski uh, career arc where he's like all of a sudden so good at, what, 39? He's got like 20-something points already. That guy never stops. Uh, he is still as good as ever. Uh, we're chatting with Frank Cervelli of Daily Faceoff. Uh, let's ask you about if the Tanev situation, I don't know if he's just day-to-day or if it's going to be longer than that. I guess more of just like a pulse check on the defense opportunities for other teams that might be trying to to scour the rosters, if this is going to complicate any matters for the Flames. Or are they still in that waiting period? I know we discussed that last time we chatted where they're kind of playing out what might happen over the next couple of weeks before they make any moves. Yeah, I think they're still in the waiting period, but there's no doubt that Greg Conroy and his front office staff with the Calgary Flames are sighing a a deep sigh of relief today because Chris Tanev, it seems like the early indication is that this is not expected to be a long-term injury. He won't play against the Vegas Golden Knights tonight, but I'm told that he woke up this morning feeling pretty good and was in a spot where the Flames just want to be pretty uh, careful in terms of how they approach this from here. Now, with regard to the rest of the overall defense market, I mean, it's pretty thin at the moment. There's a number of teams that have been suitors of Ethan Bear over the last you know, few days and weeks as he makes his way back from surgery because it's so hard and difficult to get your hands on any sort of reliable defensive depth that even someone that has somewhat of a spotty track record in the NHL, you know, conditioning and things like that have been a big question mark for Bear that teams are kind of drooling, uh, you know, hey, let's throw a multi-year deal at this kid just to try and make sure that they bring the fish into the boat in this case when it comes to getting Ethan Bear. So uh, the defense market as a whole has been really interesting to watch develop. And Tanev, no doubt, whenever the Flames get to that point of making the decision one way or the other, I think will be at the top of the list for a bunch of teams, including the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Frank, there have been some weird offbeat NHL stories uh, this year, but last night might have taken the cake with Miko Rantan and Arturi oh, Lekin yeah. and his dad apparently beefing. Are are you choosing a side in this matter? I'm not choosing a side. I also happen to know a bunch of the parties here mm. kind of intimately. I've gotten a chance to know Arturi Lekinen's dad, Ismo Lekinen, a Finnish television commentator from his trips every year to the Stanley Cup final. Very mild-mannered, doesn't seem super opinionated, but apparently the things that he said made its way back Mm -hmm. to Rantanen, who used that as fuel. And the kind of amazing part about all of that is he said, look, if you want to criticize me for not playing well, that's fine. But don't go around making stuff up about his off-season conditioning. And so he was not very happy, but I think the, the ultimate... 
you know, sort of end to the story is if there is one, which in Colorado, they're really good at sweeping a lot of things under the rug, is seems like Arturi Lekkinen and Miko Rantanen have no beef between them. It was just between Rantanen and Lekkinen's dad, which is certainly a strange situation. Okay, get that dad's trip I was going to say, like the Leafs are on their dad's trip. Let's hope there's nothing uh, that comes out of that in terms of, you know, a little bit of a, a brawl. I mean, Taidomi is on that dad's trip. I actually don't know. Do we see him? I don't know if we saw Ty last night. Ah, they're having a good time. We, we had, know that. We they're at MSG feed. tonight. I'm yeah. sure we'll get some close-ups. Uh, we saw John Carlson's dad. I was going to say, I'm not sure that there's many people in that locker room that are having a good time today with the bug that's going around mm. with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think it all started last week with mm. uh, Ilya Samsonov and William Lagason. that's sort of been working its way through the room. It hasn't been fun. Oh, boy. They'll be shorthanded tonight um, or feeling it a little bit. Not even like the New York feeling it, just like the flu feeling it. Uh, Frank, we appreciate you coming on. We'll chat with you next week and have a good uh, have a good couple of days. Have a good night, guys. Thanks so much. Uh, Frank Cervelli of Daily Faceoff. Of course, uh, we'll have the Leafs pregame show in about 10 minutes. But yes, uh, I'm hearing the same thing that there's a couple guys under the weather. Uh, Samsonov obviously made the start last night. So Martin Jones getting the start in net tonight mm-hmm. against a pretty good New York Rangers team at MSG. So a lot to come in terms of what we expect from tonight's Leafs game on Sports at 590 The Fan. Uh, just quickly here, I am fascinated by the, the situations that Pittsburgh and Washington find themselves in. Like the mm-hmm. Ovechkin thing is potentially bad. unbelievable if you just can't play anymore and everyone hits a wall mm-hmm. eventually if you can't do it anymore what it might do for that franchise or how much that franchise will have to suffer or make concessions for itself in order to just do right by the greatest athlete in their history like it's it is a no-win situation unless Ovechkin finally gets there even if it's painstakingly so and then the same thing happening here with Kyle Dubas like we talked at length about Kyle Dubas wanting, again, the throne here. We're going Connor to Connor, Dubas and Shanahan. How Dubas wanted to run things. At least that's what we feel is, was the case. And he goes to Pittsburgh where you have a management team or you have ownership, excuse me, that chooses the coach for you, right? Mm-hmm. And you can't trade Sid. You can't trade Malkin. You can't move on from Latang. If you're Dubas, you can't really do anything that you sought out trying to do here in Toronto fascinating that he finds himself in a similar type of situation i guess perhaps or much worse than he thought it was at least in toronto i'm sure uh, as we approach saturday's game obviously the penguins in town to face the maple leafs will have more of these bigger kind of discussions about the legacy that kyle dubas left and what he went on to do and accomplish and how close he is to that because it doesn't seem like it's going as swimmingly as maybe we had expected um let's take a look at what's going on tonight um across the nhl i already teed up what you might expect my goal to uh, my bet to be uh, time now for between the lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance tonight on the network. A little later in the evening, 10 p.m. Eastern, we've got Connor versus Connor McDavid and Bedard. I'm going to parlay them both to get a goal. <laughs> it's plus 375. But yesterday hit the John Tavares two point night with the narrative of him against his former team that drafted him. He was the only, only the fourth person ever in NHL history to get their one thousandth point against a team that drafted them. It all aligned perfectly. So who's to say tonight this doesn't also happen? Uh, I'm I, I'm not confident in many things, but I am confident in the ROI on your narrative bets. Like they, they are, they, they and are, they're more fun that they way. Are, they are your best bets. Usually they have a plus sign hanging <laughs> next to them too, which is a good thing. I could see this one cashing. <laughs> in a high-scoring game in Edmonton uh, for sure. I'm preparing to be petty. I know you said we got a lot of time to ramp it up. I'm ramping up the pettiness right now. The Coyotes are visiting the Penguins 
on Sportsnet. Both teams struggling. Arizona, though, is having a better season. They're plus 163 tonight at wow. PPG Paints Arena. Let's go. I, I, almost two to one. I don't think there's much separating these two teams. I think Pittsburgh's going through it right now. I think the Coyotes will play hard with Sidney Crosby in town. Logan Cooley grew up mm-hmm. in the, playing in the Pittsburgh area. He'll be fired up and ready to go. Coyotes at that big of a number, I'll take it just because I want to see the Penguins struggle on their way to Toronto. Yeah, but then they'll be even hungrier when they do get to Toronto. Yeah, but they're already a weakened animal. Such is life. Um, that was Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. On the other side, we'll have Luke Fox from MSG talk about last night's look back at Tavares getting his 1,000th point. What did you think of? I know we were on the air when it was happening. It was a quick turnaround, but the booing expected, deserved, understandable? Of course. There's a lot of discussion I mean, about fans today and if they were justified in booing John Tavares. I'm just... Well, I mean, it was it was... It was not as bad as it once was, mm-hmm. and he hit a milestone and forced overtime. I, I mean, I think they're yeah. going to be boos, not cheers, <laughs> just because he hit a 1,000. Um, all right, we'll take a break. Luke Fox will join us on the other side uh, to tee up tonight's game at MSG.